You're listening to episode 70 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing. Every week we tell stories about writers and discuss writing techniques. I'm Simon Jones, Digital Marketing Manager here at the Centre. And I'm Steph McKenna and I'm the Communications Manager. It's Friday 22nd of November as we're recording this. That means there is one week left. Just one week. Yes, Uh, of November and also of NaNoWriMo. (laughs) Are you going to uh, be squeezing in 50,000 words Uh, in one week? Yeah, so yeah, a couple of episodes back uh, I talked about how I was doing NaNoWriMo this year and I can reveal now that I've failed utterly. (laughs) I think a lot of people feel like this. I did this last year as well. It's yeah. quite a it's a tough thing to do, I think. Well the problem I had is I got a bit ill for a bit, and as soon as you miss a couple of days it's it's throws really you hard. off balance, I bet. But I do have ten thousand words that I wouldn't have had otherwise. That's a huge number of words, so actually. It's all good. And I think that's the nice thing about NanoIMO, which is that if you hit 50k, then brilliant. You can You're feel, actually a superstar. Yeah, just super-powered writer. Uh, but if you don't, it doesn't really matter. You've still got more words. Yeah, you get something out of it, don't you? It gives you some space to think about your writing and yes. have a go at something. It's, it's all it's all positive. Uh, let us know how you're getting on if you are doing it. You can tweet us at Writer Center with your word count, especially if it's impressive. <laughs> Show off to yeah. all of us. Make us feel bad. Make me feel useless. Um, So today we have an interview with Mandy Stanley, who is a children's author and illustrator, who's created a huge number of books over her career. Uh, Most of that time she's been traditionally published by the likes of HarperCollins, but her latest book she self-published. And it's a really interesting story of someone who has already had traditional success, but has elected to self-publish for specific reasons. So she's got the knowledge of both worlds, really, hasn't she? Yeah, and she talks a lot about why she made that decision and how she figured out how to do it this way. Mm. Uh, because she's a children's author, she has a requirement for her books to be in print. Mm-hmm. So she can't just go with a kind of ebook. book Download an ebook for your kids. Yeah, because yeah. children require the book to be in front of them. Mm. They need it to be kind of tactile and physical. Um, and because she's an illustrator... It needs colour illustrations. Again, that would be difficult, yeah. Yeah, so there's all these kind of technical things that traditionally have made children's literature, like particularly young picture books, Mm. really hard to do through self-publishing. So it's an an interesting example of someone who's managed to make that work for themselves. Um, Before we jump into that, Mm -hmm. a couple of mini announcements. So our Early Career Awards, which we launched a couple of months back. Yeah, um, yeah. Where we revealed that we were taking over the Desmond Elliott Prize. Which is very exciting for us. Indeed. We've now revealed two more awards as Mm -hmm. part of this package. Um, We have the UEA New Forms Award and the Laura Kinsella Fellowship. Yes. So if you head over to the website and go to the Writer's Toolkit area, you'll find more information about the Early Career Awards. And those two new awards are opening for submissions on Monday. These are open to any writer who has not yet been published. Okay, that's exciting. Yes, so anyone who's not had a novel published uh, can go in for this. And there's some financial support if you're the winner, as well as a kind of ongoing package of mentoring and whatever kind of support would be most useful in your career. It's good. It's quite flexible, really, isn't it? You can kind of specify if there's a certain area that you'd like more support in. Exactly. This is very much about helping writers who are right at that that starting yeah. point where they've maybe they've got the book and they're not quite sure what to do next mm. or in the case of the Laura Kinsella fellowship it's about writers who have specific obstacles to mm. them being published whatever they may be mm. and also don't forget that we'll be releasing lots of nice free writing resources for anyone to use whether they're entering the awards or not yes yeah so there's this entire early career awards program is about helping writers mm. who are in in that stage uh, also 
just revealed is our new lineup of creative writing online courses. Uh, they're now available on the website. We have crime fiction, non-fiction, poetry, starting fiction. Yeah, so we've got some returning tutors and some who are new mm. to the Exciting courses. New names. Yeah, it's got Ed Parnell joining mm. us for the first time, and you just did a pod chat with him as well. Yeah, that will be coming up soon. We talked about Ghostland, which is his new uh, non-fiction book. Um, he he was originally he originally published a novel, fictional novel, and he's gone into non-fiction writing. So we had a chat about that kind of experience, which I think will be really interesting. Yep. And yeah, really excited to have him teaching one of our courses as well. Absolutely. And Rebecca Goss and Lynn Bryan are joining us for poetry and fiction, respectively. And Nicola Upson, Monique Roffey and Eliza Robertson are, of course, back. They're always very popular. They are. And uh, I have to say, I've been doing uh, the Start Writing Fiction course, actually, with Angelie Joseph. Um, again, I was really good at keeping to schedule, and then it's dropped behind the last couple of weeks because I've been poorly as well. <laughs> but I have to say, it's been a really useful course to do, so I would recommend them. And I'm saying that, you know, not just because I work here, but as someone who's actually tried the course out. Yeah, and the nice thing about the online courses, obviously, you can do it from anywhere. You mm. don't have to be in Norwich. You don't have to make it to Dragon Hall. Uh, but you can also kind of do it at your own pace. Um, so although they are term-based and every couple of weeks a new module unlocks and you have assignments, but you know you can do it in your evenings, mm. at the weekend, whenever you happen to have time. Yeah, and I've also been really impressed by uh, the level of support from the other writers who are taking the, the course. So people have, from what I've been seeing, people have been posting, you know, extracts of the work that they're working on for this course, and everyone else has been kind of rallying behind them and giving them, you know, lots of positive reinforcement and just being really supportive. So I think that's really, I think it's a nice bonus. Yeah, there's a really lovely community aspect behind mm, it. Absolutely. Uh, we've had, I think, on the most recent course, some of the Students taking it have arranged through us to actually meet up in oh, real brilliant. life, which yeah. is lovely. Back during the Noirage Crime Writing mm. Festival, uh, a couple of students who had done the crime course mm. with Julia Crouch, they actually came to Noirage, not just to see the festival, yeah, yeah. but actually to say hello to her because they knew she was on a panel. Oh, that's really so, lovely. So yeah, there's always kind of ongoing connections which yeah. form, which is lovely. That's great. If you book a place on the starter courses before the end of the month, you can also take advantage of the early bird discount. Yes, 10% off. Indeed. And now here's Mandy Stanley talking with Simon. Right. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Simon. Thanks for being here at Dragon Hall. Uh, we just had a really great workshop all about self-publishing and how you got into it. Yeah, And uh, I think what's really interesting with your backstory is how self-publishing is not something that is your first route into publishing. You have gone the traditional route mm-hmm. and had a lot of success there and you've now chosen to investigate self-publishing as a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that process and why you have now published your first book that way. Mm. That's a huge question <laughs> and it requires quite a huge answer, but probably not for a podcast. I think the, the key, the key reasons for self-publishing are I had been published so much. Um, I had become very used to the process, still, um, enjoying it, but at the back of my mind, little sort of germ of an idea of, if other people weren't making decisions about my work and kind of guiding it in a way that I may not, the, the direction I may not want it to go in um, and being able to 
choose more to um, to choose the actual quality of the book and the, the whole the whole thing about the book. Um, I started to have these little ideas that, well, if I was doing this book, I, I wouldn't do that. Um, or, you know, I'd certainly change that. So in a way, it was having all these niggling doubts about being directed by other people. I wanted to try out and see how good a job I could make of it if I was the decision maker. So basically that's that's how it started with um, these small ideas at the back of my mind. Yeah, and presumably timing has to have a role in it because 20 years ago, with the best will in the world, this would have been incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to do yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, whereas now technology has sort of matured to a point where that kind of level of quality control you're looking for is possible. Yeah, exactly that. Um, years and years ago, uh, I think probably something like, oh, maybe even 30 years ago, I wanted very much to make my own book. I'd been making little books since I was four or five years old. Um, however, I wanted to do it properly. Um, and I phoned up a printer um, with my idea and said, you know, what do I do about this? How, what, you know, what's the cost? And at the time, um, it was prohibitive. The amount that the, the, they want to do the production run was thousands and thousands, costing thousands of pounds. And I had to stop there and just think, I, I can't do that. But, um, you're absolutely right. Um, technology has, advanced to the point where we really can do things we have opportunities now that we didn't have before um certainly you can get your work seen as quickly as you've you know you've made you've written something and it can be on a platform for somebody else to read within seconds and also digital printing does mean that you could print one book you could print 50 books, you could print 100, 1,000, whatever. Obviously, you're going to pay. You're going to pay more to print less. Um, but at least you can produce your book now. Um, so I think definitely um, technology has opened up all those opportunities for sure. I think because in my investigations into self-publishing, I can come at it very much from uh, self-publishing a novel. So I'm talking mm. about you know a solid load of prose, yeah. And the ebook is you know custom designed to do that. Mm. Print on demand mm. can scale to that very easily. What you do is children's books, which have to be of a particular quality because kids are going to be ripping them apart, yeah, <laughs> basically. and eating them, and yes, and doing all else. sorts of things. Yeah. And and your books are illustrated as well, mm. so it's not just text on a page. Mm. So it, that brings with it a whole different set of production challenges mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and I remember a few years ago reading how children's literature and particularly kind of illustrated large page books was something where self-publishing hadn't quite taken hold yet yeah um, because of those challenges do you, do you feel like we're sort of at a tipping point yes now? absolutely um, picture book now is is very it's accessible software now and the platforms are very much offering this as an option and to the point where we're, where we're able to even do a little bit of interactivity as well. 
So the child can be looking at an ebook on their um, iPad and they can touch a word and then it enlarges so that the child can look at the word. And um, so I want to see more of that. I want to absolutely see more of that so that we can make things move or have a reaction. Um, but even still, the fact that the platforms are offering um, the opportunity to put words and pictures together, um, image heavy books um, are now very much, very much uh, doable, which is fantastic news for me. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So as part of the workshop earlier, you kind of ended it with a series of top tips, mm. I suppose, and mm. things that you'd learned through producing your first yeah. self-published book. I thought if we could just whip through those because they were such good advice for yeah. anyone else who's looking to do it. And there's some really good stuff in here about things to not do as well. Absolutely. And avoiding yes. certain pitfalls. Yeah. Um, so number one uh, is advertising. Mm. And your recommendation that you don't really need to do big scale advertising. Yeah, I, th- I think the, um, the primary thing on my mind was that now I have a product, I need a big shiny advert to say I have this product and where can you buy it? And for me, I just thought, well, what, what publications, where could I put this advert? And the Dancing Times was one that I chose. Um, and that was an absolute fail. And for context, your book is ballet. Focused. It is a ballet book. <laughs> it is a ballet book for little ballerinas. Mm. And um, I just thought Dancing Times would be a very good place to put it. But it turned out that it really wasn't the best of places at all. I don't quite know where I would put the advert, to be honest. It was such a fail that I've decided not to do any pay any adverts that I have to pay that amount of money for again. Mm-hmm. It was around about £400, which was my biggest waste of money. Yeah, it sounded like from what you were talking about earlier that rather than advertising, it's much more networking and mm. directly mm. talking to people that yeah. has had the best impact on your book. Absolutely, and... Word of mouth is still extremely powerful. Never underestimate the power of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So social media was on your list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm curious about how useful it's been, but also how you've managed your time on it mm-hmm. to make it kind of a practical, useful business yeah. thing rather than the time suck that it can very easily yeah. become. Firstly, it's very difficult to judge how successful it is. It's almost like you you can't judge it unless there was a direct link to you putting out a tweet or anything else on social media. And that then results in, for example, orders of 100 100 books or whatever. There is no way to measure it like that. However, I think it's very important to to just keep everything rolling and to make, it helps people find you and become aware of what you're doing. And I think it's quite a slow process. I think you have to build that. Um, And as far as timing goes, um, I would only, I would only go onto Twitter or Facebook if I had something to say. I don't waste my time worrying about things to say, just things to make up anything at all. I would wait until I have something to say, which generally works out to be probably about once a week. I think some people attack it much more rigorously and that they're saying, oh, three times a day. But I do believe that can become annoying. And 
first and foremost, I just don't would hate to think that me talking about my work and releasing statements on social media too often, that could become annoying. Yeah. And presumably with self-publishing this book, the balance of your time is quite different to when you've published through traditional publishers mm. in the past. Because in the past, yeah. you'd create the book mm. and then essentially the rest of the work in yes. terms of production and marketing yeah. would fall to them. Yeah. Whereas now it's all you mm-hmm. one way or another. Yeah. And do you find that interferes with the creative end of things? Or has um, it kind of or does it feel worthwhile, I suppose? It definitely feels worthwhile. The situation is that now I'm working on other projects, so I could be working on my next book or a commissioned piece of work, and then an email comes in and it's a, an order, a reorder for five books. That moment is very special and very welcome. Um, so I would, I would take a judgment if I'm working on something and it needs care and attention and my time not to be interrupted. I would then wait until, you know, a, a good point in the day. So sometimes, um, I will deal with orders first up because I feel like very, very much, very responsible to get my books out as soon as possible. If people have been kind enough to order them, then business definitely takes a priority. Mm-hmm. That's if earlier in the day. If it's midday or later on, I would probably say I'll process the orders later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so next tip is to do the book cover. And you described it as being a tool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your tool. It's all you've got your book cover. Um, You want to be able to, there's no point in showing your book and your cover just once and thinking, well, everyone's seen it now. It's, it's something that you can use repeatedly. Um, This was advice um, that was given to me by one of the book sellers that I've come to know. And she just said, your, your book cover is your tool. Use it, keep using it and show everyone um, you know, what you've designed and your product. Mm-hmm. And I suppose in some ways you have something of a head start being an illustrator yourself and having yeah. a background in design. Um, mm. So I, in terms of other people who are looking at self-publishing and they're perhaps writers but not illustrators, what's, yeah. what kind of approach would you recommend for them in terms of trying to create a cover? Um some of the digital platforms um, give you all the tools you would need to create your own cover. Alternatively, if you wanted to get a cover designed especially for you, I would search online, look at illustrators' portfolios. There's some beautiful work out there. Um, have a look at a broad range of work, see which, what particular styles that, that mean something to you that you think would suit your book. And then make contact. Illustrators and designers want work. They're very happy to get some, uh, um, you know, contact from a customer. Mm -hmm. I think perhaps one of the misconceptions of self-publishing is that you do it on your own. And whether it's a cover or an editor, one of your other tips is that employing an editor is extremely important. Mm. So in terms of finding those people and employing other people to help you with your book mm. so how do you where do you draw the line like how do you know where to invest in people and where to do it yourself instinct first and foremost i 
I know very well the areas that I'm good at and I know the areas that I need help with, certainly on editing. And I think that you, when you first self-publish, you do feel very much on your own because it's self, it's just you. But what a lot of people don't realise is that you can hire people for a couple of hours, however long it takes, but you can pull in and hire people as and when you need them. And that then almost creates your your little capsule team. Um, so when I've only published one book so far, but I know for sure that when I do book two, I will have this little team of people that I know I can call upon again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just make sure that, that you pay them on time and do all the good, you know, do all those business-like things and do them properly. Yeah, no, I guess that's shifting from the mentality of sort of a DIY approach yeah. to actually considering yourself as a publisher. Mm. It just happens that you're only publishing one author who is you. Yeah. <laughs> but you still have yeah. the same kind of responsibilities yes. and approach to quality. That is quite interesting because it, it has actually made me have so much respect for my publishers now. I think it's quite easy to... You know, you're, you're. I'm on the previously on the side of just the illustrator, the creator, and then there's the editor and the design department. So it's like there is a there is a balance there. Um, but sometimes I would question um, why a decision had been made. Um, I would certainly question why they're not buying all the stories I submit. <laughs> um, but as soon as you you become a publisher. And you're committing yourself to put words and pictures into a publication. You then understand that it's a lot of it is to do with um, the investment of money and time. And how does it sit in the market? Obviously, you have to wear a lot of hats. You have to be all those people, and you're critiquing your own work. You're like, you know, have I produced something that actually sits well in the market? Is there a customer for that? So. Mm-hmm. The publishers are doing this all the time. It's made me realise the role of a publisher is not easy, especially when you've got hundreds, thousands of people all trying to show you their work or, you know, wanting to get it published. When you don't hire someone Mm. to do something that you're maybe not comfortable with, you haven't Mm. done before, Mm. you talked about how skilling up is critical and that as a self-publisher, you have to be prepared to learn some Mm. new stuff. Mm. And for you, what 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 did that mean for you? Oh, I had to skill up on InDesign, <laughs> the industry standard software for producing books and publications of any kind, really. Um, I had been taking the long way round. I'd been using Photoshop and I knew that there was, I knew this software existed. I'd, I, have, I had had um, a lesson but I found it quite complicated and chose to ignore it. I actually chose to ignore it on many occasions. <laughs> In the end, I decided that I I can't expect other people to take me seriously if I'm not doing it, that I'm not taking the standard route, what, what's expected. You also talked about an AI. Mm. which in my brain means artificial intelligence. Artificial, yes, indeed. But in yeah. this context, you're talking about an advanced information machine. Yeah, it is. It's so important. And it was something that I didn't do. Um, but I definitely will be doing this for the for the rest of my 
you know, the further publications. It's a really, really, it's, a, it's an, a single A4 sheet of advanced information regarding your book. Everything on there, so it's a, it's a synopsis, you've got your ISBN number, as many details as you can fit in that you feel the recipient is happy to spend time on. You can't give people too much to look at, but then again, you can't hold back on any important information that they might want to know. So this is such a handy thing to do because it gives you, apart from anyone else, a very good idea of, so in a snapshot on an A4 piece of paper, what is your book about? And I think that brings it home to you. I think it it, it, it helps understand what you're selling. It sounds quite unusual, but it does help you see it with as if as if somebody else is looking at it with new eyes almost. Um, and then you can gauge um, the response and then that informs your print run quantity. So from your advanced information sheet, if you had very little response, you would know then it's probably not the best way forward. But then if you do get a very, very nice positive response, you know that you feel confident that you can then go ahead and do a good healthy production run. Yeah, and in terms of it being advanced information, how early should you be sending these out? Um, these would go out five months, five months ahead. That's normally what the buying team are looking at. They want to be buying new stuff for, you know, in five months' time. Yeah, and I think the temptation with self-publishing is that you can do it incredibly quickly, mm. uh, particularly if you're just talking about a kind of prose novel. You know, you can yeah. export it from whatever you've written yeah. it in and, yes. and be selling it within a couple of hours if you want to. Exactly, yeah. But I think the point you're making is that you have to have a longer-term view than that and, and treat it as a product yeah. that you're bringing to market in a professional manner. Yeah. If you want to have success, at least. Yeah. I had the idea to publish... Um, a book of my own for a long time so when it finally came to the point where I'd done it I was so impatient I couldn't wait I just had to get it printed published and selling now that has worked it absolutely has worked but I want to introduce that kind of level of formalization I want the booksellers to know that they will receive an advanced information sheet about my next book it's just a little it's a taste of what's to come and it might mean that if there was an option to buy my book or another book that advanced information sheet might just tip the balance it might make no we'll actually wait for um, Mandy's next book to come out yeah so because in particular it's a children's book which it's very important for it to be a physical item mm -hmm. that kids can hold mm -hmm. you obviously had to go down the route of having stock and actually creating the book uh, with ebooks it's slightly easier because yeah. you don't have to worry about those headaches but what did you do in terms of knowing how much to order so we've talked a little bit about mm. how an advanced information sheet would help with that yeah and and then also <clears throat> where did you put them all yeah this this was something it's ridiculous but in my enthusiasm to get a book published you see it as one book somehow it's here's my book you don't really ever see the piles and piles of books that you're going to produce because it's something I I hadn't, you know, I just hadn't seen that before. So 
on the day when all the printing was done and a van turned up with a thousand books, <laughs> I suddenly realised the, the sheer physical size of what 1,000 books looks like. There was no space in my house for a thousand books. So um, thankfully, my mum offered her attic as a place <laughs> to put them. This was difficult because the hatch was hardly big enough to hold me and my book box of 50 books at a time. But we got there in the end because it was the only place they could go. Um, since then, I do worry about weather conditions as well. So extreme heat, um, extremely cold weather. My biggest worry is that all the stock would be damaged somehow in the heat well together. And your stock is incredibly valuable. You've, you've spent a lot of money buying all these books and you don't want them ruined. So I think next time around, I would probably choose a warehouse over my mum's attic. Mm -hmm. A bit more, a bit more controlled environment. Yeah. Yeah. A more controlled environment. And, and I have, um, since publishing my first book, I have made contact with people that I think could do that job really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading horror stories years ago now, really, but, um, it was when it became more doable to self-publish yeah. and people you know, ordering thousands and thousands of books, which then just live in their garage forevermore yeah. and never get shifted. Um, you've had success with your print run, but yeah. how did you go about gauging how many to order in the first place? Mm. I discovered from my visit to the printer that they have two types of printer. One is called a jet press and the other is a Livo. The jet press is a smaller, neater printer and that can take care of small print runs. And then the Livo is to do bigger productions hovering around a thousand. That's, I think that's the break point where you'd want to put it onto Livo. And so you, you get to understand that if you want to bring the price point down, you do need to produce more books. However, if you print a small run, I did a hundred. I knew that I wasn't going to make the biggest of profits, but I wasn't going to lose money by doing 100. And I, I suppose I, I knew that I didn't want to repeat the 100 because I wanted more profit. And I'd been able to um, gauge the response and that I had achieved some very healthy sales and interest. So I took the plunge. There is a point where you do have to just make that decision and just go for it. Just press, press go and, and get your quantities. Yes, uh, which neatly brings me on to the final point, which is be brave. Yeah. And uh, yeah. don't, I mean, I think you said don't worry about trying to go too fast, too quickly. Yeah. Um, I think you have to definitely be brave because you've, you don't quite know what's coming. You don't really know what to expect if you haven't done it before. And you very much have to, you have to make that decision and you have to stick by it and then just see what comes and then react as and when different situations crop up. So I think, yeah, there is an element of, there is an element of risk taking, which is what you've obviously got to be brave about, but you can, you can kind of limit the risk. And I did that by doing producing the hundred and then the thousand. Mm -hmm. 
Fantastic. Well, that's a great collection of starter tips for people, I think. Good. Um, if people want to find out more about you or get in touch mm. or, in, in fact, buy your books, um, where's the best place for them to go? All good bookshops are um, will stock my book and will be able to buy in for anyone who wants it. Um, my I also sell the book from my website, which is mandystanley.com. And obviously there's all the, you know, direct messaging on um, Facebook or Twitter. Brilliant. So if anyone wants my book, I can most certainly furnish them with one. Excellent. Or two. We'll, we'll put all those links in yeah. the show notes yeah. as well. Yeah. Mandy, thank you very much. Good. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Mandy for the chat. If you've got any questions or you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Writers' Centre and by searching for National Centre for Writing on Facebook. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter where we send through all of our regular events, workshops and opportunities. Um, You can subscribe by visiting the National Centre for Writing website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. If you'd like to get hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Tarnamus. And I am at Steph X McKenna. Please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast because it helps other people to find it. Thanks again. Keep writing. We'll see you on the next episode and good luck with that last week of NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo.